We are in the book of Revelation, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can also go online at our digital bulletin. Uh, you can click on the link. It'll pull up all the scriptures that we have this morning. It'll give you all the information. It will also allow you to look back at any scriptures that may impact your heart, that you might want to look back up later. They'll be online all week. They're always there. We don't change them until the following Sunday, and so you can click on those. There's also our podcast that you can go back and listen to. Our series in the book of Revelation is called Blessed with a question mark. The word blessed means happy. It means joy. That's what the word means. And so when the book of Revelation is written and John wrote the book of Revelation, the purpose of him writing it was to show the world what true blessing really is. Because everybody around us in our world is telling us how to feel happy, how to have joy. They sell us every product in the market by telling you, this will make you happy. This will give you joy. And then we buy it, and then it goes in the closet. And then we get another toy for joy. And it never brings lasting satisfaction. The book of Revelation is the last book because it's the culmination of all of the Bible that starts out in chapter 3 of Genesis with man sinning and the world being broken The rest of the Bible is the story of God's interaction with man as he's calling man out of that brokenness. Revelation is the final chapter that says this is truly when the blessing will come, question mark. So when is that blessing going to come in your life and in my life? The reality is it's not going to come until we're with Jesus finally and the end of the world and the new heaven and the new earth are made. There will always be a little piece missing. There will always be something, but we can find Joy and happiness in the fact, John says, that we know the end of the book. I mean, this is what he says. In the first chapter of Revelation, he says, the one who reads this is blessed. You're blessed this morning. Be happy. We're reading Revelation. Good job. Okay. He says, those who hear it, you're hearing it, and keep it. Well, I don't know if you're keeping it, but hopefully this will help you today to go out and keep it this week, are blessed. And then he says, at the end of the book of Revelation, Blessed is he who heeds this book. So John is saying, look, the bookends of the book of Revelation, the bookends of Scripture are Genesis God creates and says, you are blessed. Humankind, you are blessed with the world. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Humans break that. And then the book of Revelation starts out with, you are blessed. And there's a lot of judgment and mess when you read through the book of Revelation and disaster and like, oh my goodness. And then at the end, he's like, But there's an ending that's coming that will make you so happy and so joyful for all of eternity. And that's honestly what everybody's looking for, right? It's what the world constantly sells to people. It's what every government sells. It's what everybody's trying to do. This idea that if you just do what I tell you to do, you'll be happy. And God says, happiness on this side of eternity is something very, very difficult to find. It's actually impossible to find without him. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. The first week, or I'm sorry, before we go into that, the thing you have to remember about the book of Revelation, I said I would say this each week, because I I have not preached through Revelation, those of you who have been here know that, because I've saved this book. We preach through the Bible. I've only got a handful of books left in the last 10 to 12 years, so it's taken us about 10 to 12 years to go through every verse of Scripture except the Psalms. We preach through the scriptures. We want you, we want our people to know what God says, not what the pastor says God says. So we go through the scriptures. 
But the thing you have to remember, and the reason I've delayed Revelation is because whenever you do Revelation, everybody wants to get involved in all kinds of charts and when stuff's going to happen and what does this mean and what does that mean and everything else. So I'm going to remind you with Jesus' words what Jesus said before he went up into heaven and before he today, we'll see, called John to come see what was going on in heaven. So, so Jesus left. Here were his last words before he went whoop, up into heaven. Here's what he told his followers. Acts 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus has come. He's lived a perfect life. He's died. He's come back to life. The only religious leader ever to do that. Now they're coming together and the disciples are saying, is now the time of blessing? Like, is it, is it now time that we're going to get the blessing of Abraham, that the kingdom's going to come and the blessing of David and the blessing of Noah and all the blessings? Like, this, this is the time, right? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. You can't know. You don't know. If someone tells you they know, run from them. Run from that church. They don't no, Jesus said it, I didn't. And the reason we want to tell people we know is typically because we want a little bit of the glory. We don't want to give God all the glory. And God said, you can trust me, I know. It's like you being in the car with your parents. Where are we going? You just trust me. You're coming with us, right? It's the most miserable thing. You just sit in the back, it's just stupid. When you could have just been like, wow, I got great parents who are going to feed me, and they pay for my gas, and they travel, and I have room in, this is the best, I just get in the car and go, I don't have to do anything, I've got servants, this is amazing, they just drive me places and give me experiences, this is wonderful, that's not what we do, we pout. Jesus looks and he says, look, it's not for you to know, and then he says, but, last week we looked at that, the buts in scripture, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, oh, I get power. I get power to get blessings. I get, I get power to do stuff. I'm like Superman. This is going to be awesome, right? He says, yeah, you'll get power to be my witnesses. The word witness there, if you remember, is martyr. You will have the power to endure and give your life on behalf of others. That's the power I'm going to give you. Okay, plan B, right? <laughs> and he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, that's, the, that's what you're going to be doing until the book of Revelation happens. That's what God says. And we've got a world, especially Christians, that are running from that as fast as possible. I gotta know what's happening. I gotta plan my life. I gotta have an answer. I gotta have it figured out. I gotta... Jesus was 30 before he left home. 30. 30. You're freaked out because it's like, man, I might have to go back and live at home at 22. Well, if you have a purpose, great. If you're going back because you're not responsible, that's a whole other story. But like, like Jesus served his family. He, he lived a simple, surrendered life of service to the people around him and didn't find it like drudgery. He found joy in it. That's what he tells his followers and us to do. So as we do Revelation, remember that. The first week we looked at the fact that he said, read here and keep. He says, remember, the Apostle John is the one that writes Revelation about Jesus. The whole book's about Jesus. To show his slaves, that's us, what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified through his angel to the slave John, who testified to God's word and the testimony about Jesus Christ and all he saw. And remember, Jesus' name means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. It's not Jesus' first name, Christ's last name. That's not it. His name means the Old Testament God, Yahweh, who came in human form to save mankind, who died as a Savior and Messiah, who is Yahweh. That's what his name means. 
It's undeniable. It's why his name is so offensive. It's because it carries such authority of who he really is. Then he goes on. He says, the one who reads this is blessed, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written is blessed, because the time is mirrored. Last week, we looked at the fact that at first, John sees heaven. He lays some of that out, like, here, listen. And then the first thing God does is he writes seven letters. He has John write seven letters to seven churches. The churches are listed there. You'll see them, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And he says some good things about these churches. And for most of the churches, he says some very bad things. He says, you're doing this well, and you're doing this, but oh my goodness, stop this. And he asked them to change their heart before the judgment comes, which is where we find ourselves moving into in the fourth chapter of Revelation. Okay? So, so John writes to these letters and he says, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. And we talked about the fact that the victory doesn't come from what we do. It comes from what God gives us and he gives us the, the power of the Holy Spirit to be victorious. It's not our efforts. We don't work our way to get to heaven to be victorious. That's not what we do. We say we can't win. God, please come and win. We surrender. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible presents. We looked at a practical way to think about our lives and to think through the scriptures, God, man, me, do, which we talk about equipping people to read their Bibles in our church. What is this passage or what is this telling me about who God is? What does this passage say that God says who man is? Based on who God is and who God says man is, then who am I? We define ourselves by that. And then we get to a place where we say, God, is there anything you might want me to do? Or do I just need to sit and worship you and understand who I am? It's a beautiful picture of how to read through the scriptures and what John is actually writing. He's writing and saying, I'm going to tell you about God. I'm going to tell you the letters to the churches. He writes through this to us, and he says, you need to listen, you need to repent if you're going to find victory. If you won't listen and you won't turn, repentance means this, you're going this way and you say, nope, I'm going to go this way. You go the opposite direction. That's all the word repent means. This week, if we look at what it means to be blessed and are you blessed, he says this, after this, come and look. After this, come and look. See, here's the thing. We want a blessing, and for us, we always think, well, well after this, then, then I'll be happy. Well, I just got to get through this, and then I'll find joy. Then, I, then after this, then if I can just get married, if, if, if I can just, you know, get past this test, if I, you realize there's going to be another test. Like, <laughs> it doesn't stop. You're like, oh, just when I get out of college. And then you look back and go, I wish I could go back to college, Right? We just get these kids out of the house. Oh, I wish I could go back to having kids again. Like, it's all these things. We keep chasing fleetingness and blessing that, that leaves us empty. And all the time, God is saying, and through the book, book of Revelation, God is saying, I just want you to come to me so I can help you look at things properly. I want you to come to me so as you go through things and as you think about the past and you look at your present and you think about the future, you can come and see what's really happening and find real joy and blessing regardless of what's going on in your life because you know the purpose of the world. You know true morals, not morals that are being sold to you for gain. You, you get it. 
And so Jesus and God throughout all the scriptures is saying, come and look. I want to show you who I am. I want to show you what's true about the world. I want to show you who you are, and I've got some things I want you to do with me so that you can be involved in doing that for others. That's, that's the message of the Bible. And we've twisted it. The church has twisted it, which is why John wrote seven letters. God had John write seven letters to the churches first before anybody else. 4.1 says this, After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. You have a choice what you want to look at. You have a choice. If I don't want to look at you right now, I just do this. I'm choosing not to look at you. It's not hard. You have a choice every day what you're going to look at. Your phone has an off button. Did you know that? Most of you don't. Most of you have never turned your phone off. Like it's just on all the time. You just plug it in and plug it and it never shuts off. And you put your face and it comes on. You're like, oh, it works, right? It actually shuts off. Like you can put it in a drawer. You can survive with this in a drawer for like weeks. I know, it's shocking. You'll be just fine. Like, but... We're constantly, the world is telling us, look, look, look. We're reading a book right now as a men's group called Competing Spectacles. Great book. I, it's like a devotional. I encourage you to read it. And, and it's written from the perspective that the world around us is constantly trying to grab our attention, constantly trying to get us to look here, look here, look here, and distract us from truly what's happening in the world, who we truly are, and what's true. And the world's constantly trying to get us to look at anything but God, anything but Jesus, anything but the Bible, anything but the church. Look at anything else. Look at yourself even. Here's a mirror. Look, take pictures, post them. Do anything, but don't look at God. Don't look at what he says. And John is saying, after this, I looked. He's making a choice. How do I know he's making the choice? Because if you remember, at the end of chapter three, look at what it says. God says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. You ever been rebuked and disciplined by people you love? If they love you, they'll rebuke you and discipline them. If they don't love you, they won't rebuke and discipline you. You want to know why? Because they're scared to lose your love, which means they don't truly love you. They're using you for your love. God doesn't use us, and he doesn't need us. But he offers a relationship where he's in authority, and he's in control, and he knows what's best for us, and he's willing to look at us and say, don't do that. And if you do hear the consequences, and I'm here to still forgive you because my son died for you. There's not another religion on the planet that presents that. So again, I've said this numerous times. If you want to dismiss a religion, Christianity is the first one you should dismiss because it's different than all the others. It's like when you looked at a chart, you know, which picture is different than all the others? When you were like in kindergarten, you're like, oh, that one, like, right? Or the really tricky one where was like one line missing. You're like, they're all the same. I don't care. Like, don't do that. You got to find the one that's different. Christianity is the religion that says you can't save yourself, only God can. You can't work your way to heaven, you can't earn his love, you can't make a deal with him, he loves you. Now will you look at him? Will you give yourself to him? He's done his part, what will your part be? And you can't earn it. It's a surrender of yourself. And so look, he says, I rebuke, so be committed and repent. Stop looking at all the things you want and look at what I'm trying to get you to see. Come my way. Don't go that direction. Come my way. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and have dinner with him and he with me. John just wrote this. And so then he sees an open door. And he's like, open door. He doesn't say, oh, God's behind that door and I got a lot of baggage and I don't want him to see my baggage. I I need to go get showered and change, God. I'll be right back. I got to try to clean myself up and then I'll come to the open door. It's not what John does. John's been waiting for this moment his entire life. John was on the mountain in Acts 1 when Jesus transfigured and he said, you don't know the times of the seasons, but you'll be my witnesses. John has been living his life. He's on an island right now as a prisoner with a bunch of criminals and sick people because he won't stop telling people about Jesus. This is the moment John's been waiting for his whole life. He's seeing the person that he loves and he hasn't seen for so long. It's like when Jay, Brian, and Kathy hit the ground in their home church in East Asia and they see the faces and there's hugs and there's celebration. Welcome home. That's what God wants for us. And John knows it, which is why he's like, yeah, it's, it's scary, but I can't look anywhere else. And I know that if I go through that door, there's a table waiting for me to sit with my Savior for everything He's done for me. I've been waiting for this moment. See, our problem is we're not waiting for that. We keep putting God off and saying, well, after this God, and after this God, and well, after this God, and after I have my fun as a kid, and after I have my fun as a teenager, and after, after, after God. John didn't do that. John's like, now, 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 his whole life, and here he is. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to go die. I'm... Chapter 1 is what's happening now in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2 through 3 is talking about the present church age. Chapter 4 on is starting the process of telling us what will take place later. And what's taking place as we look at it. It goes on to say this. The first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. You thought the drums were loud this morning right? We just added drums a few weeks ago, and we're trying to get the volume right, and they weren't too bad, but like, that's a discussion we've been having in a gym. It's hard to get a drummer to play soft, and Ben's actually very good at it. You don't know that, but he is very good. Most drummers have to have a big cage around them because they don't know how to play like animal, right? Like, Like, so Ben has been disciplining himself to learn how to play differently for the glory of God. And so here you have John looking into heaven, and now a loud voice like a trumpet speaks out. I don't know about you, but I'm like, not going in there. Thank you. I'll just stay on that. I'll stay on Patmos. You just, how about you send me a letter? I don't need to see it. You just tell me. You send, I'll make sure the letter gets distributed. Because remember, John's getting ready to see a vision. And he's got to write this stuff down, and he has no way to explain what he's seeing. Just like, again, I've said before, if you took someone from the 1400s and dropped them in in an American city and said, now explain all this with the, you know, terminology you know. And they'd be like, a giant, tall thing. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know. It's full of diamonds around. No, that's called a window. It's glass. That wasn't created yet, you know. Like, he's trying to explain these things. And then he says, look, look at what this... The voice says this, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. 
So he says, John, you're on the island. I've come and spoke to you. I'm going to take the churches through the church age, and I want them to surrender to me. And here's the things the churches are going to struggle with as they honor me through the church age. But now I'm giving you a moment where you're going to see what's going to happen. Not what's currently happening, what's going to happen. So I'm actually bringing you in to show you something no one else or very few others have seen. And he says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place. If you're reading this book, God has chosen to show you. What a privilege. What a privilege that you know. Because the other apostles that were killed before John didn't have this confidence. They didn't have this book to read. They just trusted the Lord. And we have it as such a gift to us of why it's worth living the lives we live and surrendering to the God of the universe. Man, it's incredible. In Exodus, this is what God said to Moses. When Moses, the people of God, were in slavery in Egypt, God delivered them out of Egypt. You can read that story in in, in Exodus. He says to Moses, who is the leader that God called, he calls Moses up to the mountain. He says, come up to me on the mountain and stay there so I might give you the stone tablets, that's the Ten Commandments, with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. So again, Moses goes up on the mountain. There's lightning and thunder. And there's a cloud that surrounds the mountain and the people are waiting. If you remember, the people rebel and they make idols and they make an idol and their priests even let them make an idol and make it for them and they name it God. They're like, God, look at this idol we made for you. It wasn't for him. He told them not to do it. And they thought, well, Moses is dead. He went up on that mountain. It's like thunder and lightning. He's got to be dead up there. God's like smashing him every lightning bolt. It's like, you know, he's done. So he hasn't come back in a while. So we've been waiting for 30 days. That's long enough. Okay, let's do our own thing. We're kind of the same way. I've waited long enough. It's time for me to get mine. And Revelation tells us you can wait longer. You can wait longer. It's worth it. It's worth the wait. And here Moses is, and God says, I want to show you, Moses, and I want to show my people the law that no other nation has. I want to show you how to do life like no other nation knows how to do. I want to show you who I am in a way that I've not shown any other nation. I have chosen you, I want you to see it, and then I want you to go tell all the other nations about me and how to do it. See, that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. It's not a bunch of rules that we measure up to so that we can stand before God one day arrogantly and say, look at all I did. That puts you in the position of God, not God. It's something that we look at and say, God, I hope that I have no idols in my life. I hope that you've forgiven me for any adultery or murderous heart I've had. I hope that you help keep me from coveting so I don't want the things of this world, but I want you. That was the purpose of the Ten Commandments was to drive us to a relationship with God where we're constantly saying, hey, after this life, I'm going to get to come and look at the God of the universe so it is worth whatever he asked me to do. See, that's the beauty of it. John indicates that the rest of the book of heaven is pretty much, John's going up to heaven and he's looking back to earth. Now, you have to remember, if John goes up to heaven, it means that there's no longer any time. Because heaven's in a different dimension. It's, it's outside of time and space. So as John's seeing these things go on, it's not linear necessarily. It doesn't have to be linear because there's no time. When there's no time, then things go back and forth. It's not linear. It's eternity. 
Now we know this works mathematically. Mathematicians use eternity. They use infinity to figure out math problems. We know that there's infinity. We know there's eternity, but everything around us says everything's dying and there isn't infinity in eternity. And that's God saying, hello, yes there is, it's me. And and you're in a world that's disappearing, but there's actually behind the scenes a hidden dimension, a hidden heaven that I created. And instead, we'll make up movies and aliens and all kinds of stuff. Instead of just saying, how about we look at God? No, no, there's got to be aliens. You know, there's got to be another dimension. There's got to be a metaverse. That's it. That's the answer. How, How about there's just heaven? How about everything's pointing to the fact that John is right, and God has given us a picture, and we keep stealing all the good stories from God and making them our own and corrupting them instead of saying, hey, thanks for the story, God. You're great. You're the one that created this. You're the one that did this. You're the one. Like, we're going to get ready to read here in a second. God has pets in heaven. I'm not a pet person. I'm going to struggle with that. No, I won't. I'll be happy about it. But like, but, but you look at this, and it's, it's beautiful. And so God calls Moses up to the mountain. The mountain's rumbling and thundering. Everyone's scared to death. And actually, if you read in Exodus, you want to know the most heartbreaking moment in the story of Exodus? God didn't call Moses up on the mountain alone. He asked all the people to come up on the mountain with him. And they rejected it and said, no, we're too scared. Have Moses do it all. And there's still some of you sitting here the same way. There's a God who is inviting you into a terrifying but magnificent, glorious, joyful journey that you cannot imagine. And you'd rather say, no, have the pastor do it all. Have dad and mom do it all. Have my friends do it all. Have my ministry do it all. I'm good. And they lied and they said, whatever you tell Moses, we'll do. And then they disobeyed Moses the whole time. Because they didn't want God. They just wanted a deal so they could have the life they wanted. And they were ready to go back to Egypt into slavery so that they could eat food. Literally. They're like, the, we don't like manna. It's the perfect thing that gives us all the nourishment. And we don't have to fix it. We don't have to grow it. It just appears. We collect it. We eat it. It's amazing. Can we go back to Egypt and have stuff that Egypt has? Like, what? Like, we're still trying to create the superfood and we're buying it. Like, oh, beets. The beets are new superfood. Like, What? God actually created it. So here's John. He's looking. He hears this voice. In Matthew, this is what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You ever been weary and burdened? Midterms are coming. You'll be there soon. And I will give you rest. All of you. All. Take up my yoke. A yoke is something that you plow with. You put your head in it. Two oxen, and they pull and they plow. You don't get to not have an oak, a yoke. You don't, that's not an option. You get to choose which yoke you're going to wear in this life. You don't get to be a god on this earth and command people. Someone's going to put a yoke on you. An employer, a school, friends, family. People are going to put yokes on you and say, hey, come pull with me. And you've got to make decisions on what yoke you're going to put on to make it and live life. Jesus says, hey... There's a lot of yokes out there you could put on. I'm willing to get in one with you and pull. You want that one? Or do you want to get in with someone who's going to abandon you or they're just going to sit down and now you're dragging them along because they won't pull with you? Jesus says, take my yoke like Moses did and learn from me. Learn from me. 
Because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we disobey that all the time. We are constantly telling God, this is too hard. You're too hard. You demand too much. La, 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 la. Complain, gripe, complain. And God is saying, no, the world is hard. The world will kill you. I'm offering you life. I'm offering you meaning and purpose in the hardness. You don't get to avoid the hardness. You're going to have hardness. Question is, what do you do after this, after the hardness? You ready to come look, or do you not want me to see? Are you like, oh, I don't want God to see it? Or are you ready to come before God and say, I have served you. Here I am, laid open. I am a mess, and I know you see everything, and I just want to come see you. Here at FX Church, we talk about some simple ways that we think through how we walk people through the process of getting them past the after this of their life and how we help them come and see God. We talk about go, know, show, and grow. Undergo, you got to click for me. This is a cool graphic, see? Okay. <laughs> Undergo, the Bible says that God came to us. He is a God of coming. In these verses, God was saying, come, go, go, come. Come and go are the same Verb tense, like you, you come. So the first thing you have to do is decide where am I going to go? Where am I going to go to for help? And then once you know who to go to, your responsibility is to go tell other people, go with me. So, so the first thing we talk about is go. That's the command. The question is where and who? Secondly, no. God says, I want you, as you're going through life, because you're going to have to go, I want you to know that I love you, I want you to know who I am, and I want you to go out and get to know other people so that they know they can love me and they know they can go to me. Then God says, hey, through that process, I want you to show, I want you to show people what it's like to obey me. I want people to come and look at your obedience and say, wow, maybe after this in my life, I might be able to surrender. Maybe I could go to God after the mess I've created. He says, so I want to show you my faithfulness. So I've given you the Bible, the most amazing historical document ever created, most accurately translated throughout human history. Test me on that. I am telling you, no other book like it. Radically different. Written by multiple authors, multiple continents, multiple cultures, and consistent in its message. Unbelievable. And so God wants to show you who he is, and he's given you the Bible to do that. And then he says, I want you to go out and show people what it's like to give your life, to be my martyrs, to surrender and have joy doing it. And I'm like, oh, i got to be a martyr for God today. Really stinks serving this big guy. No, like I get to know the God of the universe. I get to show him that I love him and he gets to show me that he loves me and I get to show other people that they can do, yes. And then finally, you know what happens when you do the first three things? You naturally grow. Growth is a natural byproduct of the first three. You can't make yourself grow. If you go listen to an apple tree, stick your head up against any fruit tree in town as you're walking this week and listen for how much it's struggling to grow. You won't hear it go, apples. It's not what it's doing. It's naturally producing apples. And if it's not naturally producing apples and oranges are coming, you go, oh, that's not an apple tree. It's something different. We, you naturally, and so our job is to make sure that we're growing by looking about show, know, and grow, go, and then looking around at other people, and if it doesn't look like they have the right fruit, they're not growing, you go, something's wrong with your going, your knowing, and your showing, because you're not naturally growing. 
That, that's the process. Look at these scriptures. I'm going to go through them quick. The first one says this. He says, and this is the, uh, this is the great commandment. Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the, in the law is the greatest? Remember, there are like 700 laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That's go, know, show, grow. It's love God, love people. And if you want to have a right view of yourself, if you want to know who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to provide for yourself, love God and love people, and you'll figure out how to do your life. But if you try to do you first and figure you out first before you know who God is and who he says man is and before you have a heart to give your life, you're going to screw it up, I promise. I promise. It's not how it works. Because once you've surrendered to God being the authority on your life and he says, I've got some people you want to serve, you don't look at him and go, well, give me some time to get better at doing that, God, and then I'll go serve. Excuse me, I'm the master. Go. I'll tell you when you're ready, and you're ready. Go. He goes on to say this. Matthew 28, Jesus came near to them. J. Bryan mentioned the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission. The first one we read is the Great Commandment, the two greats. Then Jesus came near. He came near. The other portions, Jesus is saying, you come to me. This is so important. Jesus is like, I'm coming to you for this one. This is so important, I'm going to leave what I'm doing to come tell you because this is so important. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Listen, we've got to stop making false converts and make disciples. Disciples are people that understand when they trust the Lord, they're going to be disciplined because he's now their father. It's that simple. And what we keep telling people is, you know, just trust Jesus. Just pray to receive Jesus. Just get baptized. And then everything's going to be fine. And then we move on to the next group of people. And then we wonder why 75% of young people today are deconstructing their faith, becoming apostates, and are not returning to the church in America. 75%. We're not doing this right. If 75% of our young people are leaving, something's broken. I'm trying to figure out what it is. We're trying to do things differently and trying to figure out, and it's a mess, I'll be honest. And it's really costly. But you know what? It's also really satisfying. <laughs> when you see people serving the Lord and going to far places and sending people out, and at the end of the day, you say, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be about. So make disciples. Disciples are people that are disciplined. That's what disciple means. It means disciplined one. It means you willingly discipline yourself because you know how much you're loved. I want to do anything I can to please the one because he gives me so much ability to discipline myself. Then he says, of all nations, baptizing them. That's the show. Like I want to show. That's the public signal. I'm being baptized, which is a public declaration of an inward change. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity, the authority of the Godhead. Teaching them. So now we've got to help them grow. We've got to help them know. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Everything. That means the Old Testament too, by the way. We've forgotten that in the modern church. We just preach the New Testament and we like throw the Old Testament out and then we wonder why Christians can act so immoral in our society and not have a problem with it. Because you haven't taught them the Old Testament. That's where all the morality is. You've just taught, just love Jesus and everything will be okay. It might be. God is very gracious, but he's also very wrathful. You might not want to play that game. You might just want to surrender fully. 
I had to do that. I walked the aisle in three churches. I was baptized three times. I didn't know Jesus from Justin Bieber. Jesus was like Justin Bieber to me, you know, like listen to the music, you know, go to the concert. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. I didn't know him from anybody till my freshman year of college and someone finally said, do you really know this God that's saying come and look and giving you an up? Do you understand what the gospel is? No, I don't. Okay, well then you need to. And that was the moment where it was over for me. Now, has it been a struggle? Oh, goodness. I don't know how God still puts up with me. I'm honest. Like, I don't know how a lightning bolt hasn't just split me in two. But he says he's loving and merciful and gracious and compassionate and rich in faithful love. Not for my glory and not for my benefit because he wants my kids and my wife and he wants you all and he wants the world to see that there's a God that if, you, if, if, I, can, if I can use that dude, you're okay. We can, I can use you. He's a mess. That's the beauty of the gospel. We don't get the glory. He goes on and he says, remember, I'm with you. After all this, remember, I'm with you. You're going to come. I'm going to open up a door for you. You're going to come, and it's going to be over. The struggle will be done, and you've finally arrived at all the longings you've been longing for at the end of the age. And then with fruit, he says, you'll recognize them by their fruit, Jesus said. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, you can do as much of this stuff as you want. You can do as much self-control as you want. You can do as much love. You can do as much joy. You can do as much peace as you want. It's like, well, I don't want to do those things. (laughs) They're hard. And he goes on. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Look at what John said, or what um, Paul says here in Galatians. He says the natural byproduct of you walking with God in the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be to produce fruit. It's what fruit trees do. The right nutrients are given, the right soil, the right circumstance, and it produces fruit. If you're not producing fruit in your life, if you're not seeing more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control coming out of you, if you're not seeing your flesh be crucified and you're not wanting the things that you want anymore, but you're wanting the things, if you're not seeing that, you need to go back and question the go, know, and show that you're living for. Because God is saying, look, I want you to come see. What an invitation. We jump down. Verse 2 says, immediately. So he says, here's the door, a loud trumpet, and then immediately. John's like, I want to see. And immediately, I was in the Spirit. That means his body is on Patmos, and his spirit has now been transferred to heaven. Now, this is crazy, right? Because it's like, if you were on Patmos, and you were with John, and his body's there, but his spirit's not, I don't know what that is. Like, that's crazy. Like, is he dead? Like, you're looking at John being like, well, He was talking, he was writing some letters, and then all of a sudden he just fell over on his desk. We don't know really what to do. He's just kind of there. He says, I'm immediately, my spirit was taken, and look at what he sees. A throne was set there in heaven. Do you know what a throne represents? A throne represents authority. If you go into a throne room and you don't go in the right way, you don't come out. A throne room is authority. You can't go into the Supreme Court in the chamber and pick it. Doesn't work. You'll be drug out. You can pick it outside, but not inside. That's where the thrones are. 
That's where the business is done. That's where the law is decided. And you don't have a right to do that in here. So there's a throne in heaven. And one seated on the throne... And the one seated looked like jasper and carmelian stone. Again, John's trying to describe what he's seeing, and he's like, it looked like jasper and carmelian. He's not saying build a throne of jasper and carmelian. No, he's saying it looked, I'm just trying to describe this crazy scene I'm seeing. And then he says, a rainbow looked like an emerald, like an emerald surrounded the throne. Surrounded the throne. You're like, but a rainbow is a bow. That's the name of it, rainbow. Did you know that a rainbow is not a bow? Click on the picture. That's a rainbow viewed from the sky back to earth. It's a circle. The reason you can't see the bottom of it is because we have a horizon and the earth is round. It's not flat. (laughs) And because there's a horizon, you can't see the full majesty of the bow, of the circle, the completeness of light that shines through. There are very few pictures like this. They're rare to be captured. If you look on the internet, there's only a handful, but that's a true rainbow. You're looking from heaven down to earth, and you have a full picture. John is in heaven looking down to earth, and he's getting a full picture, the full bow, not the half. That's why this is significant. The first thing he saw, it's central to everything, was this throne, and then he sees... That it's complete. Things are going to be completed. I've got a window to see through. It's beautiful. And a throne represents absolutes. You know that when you walk into a throne room, your will is done. And whatever the person on the throne decides, you have to do. That's the law. And John is in that throne room. Goes on and says this, around that throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with gold crowns on their heads, flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder, just like when Moses was on the mountain, there's flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. Yesterday, a bunch of the guys in the church went and helped move a play fort, and as I'm driving to go move this play fort, I'm studying this book, and as I'm doing down 46, the storm missed Ellettsville where I live, and it's going across the south of Bloomington, and I mean the lightning show was amazing. Right, And the lady's texting me while I'm driving, and I'm trying not to text back and talk to Siri and not say something really inappropriate, because Siri doesn't know what I'm saying half the time. You know, I don't know how many times I've accidentally sent a curse word to someone trying to communicate through my phone. I'm just saying, it happens, like you're like, oh, ah, sorry, Siri's not listening, right? I, and so I'm driving, and it's just like this light show, and this lady's like, we're having a storm here. Are you having a storm? I'm like, no, it's beautiful in Ellsville, but I see where I'm coming. So then I pull over, I look at the radar, and the radar's like, it's going to be clear. So I tell the guys, hey, we're still going. But there's another storm behind it, so we got to get it. So we get there, we get, and sure enough, we're standing there getting ready to move the play fort. The lady's not sure where he wants it, and we're all standing there, and we can hear the rumble and the thunder, and we're like, um, we need to make a decision <laughs> quickly. We got it moved. It was great. She paid for us to have a men's breakfast together. It was wonderful. We opened the scriptures and talked about God. It was a great time for the guys. But that's it. When the lightning flashes and the thunder comes, it gets your attention. It changes your plans. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven is a complete number. John's trying to say, hey, what's complete? Seven. Okay, seven is a complete number. Seven days of creation. Seven. He says, something like the sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. I mean, this thing has 
This thing has nothing, nothing on the Marvel Universe. I mean, this is incredible, right? He goes on and he says, Oh, the, real quick question. Some people will ask, like, who are the 24 elders? And some scholars will say, well, it's the 12 children of Israel and it's the 12 apostles, right? That's 24. Old Testament, New Testament, right? There's just one problem with that. There's 24 of them and John was one of the apostles. It doesn't say there were 23 and John, here's a seat for you. So probably we've made that up. God doesn't say that what it is, so don't add to scripture what isn't there. There's 24 elders, who are the elders? I don't know. They're just elders. And I've been taught to listen to my elders. And in my community, when I was growing up, I got spanked three times before I got home by my elders. That's just the way it was done. When I was growing up in my community, it was like, if you did something stupid, you have full permission to discipline my son. My dad always said, if you get pulled over by the police and you get put in jail, we'll bring you brownies and we'll bring them to the police officers too. We'll bring everybody brownies to say, thank you for taking our stupid son and sitting him down for a while. That was my dad, and he loved me to death. Great man. But man, he was like thunder and lightning sometimes. You know what I mean? But he was also, come here, son, sit on my lap. Great compassion and love and care for people in our community. The reason my dad told me that is he said, son, you're not the boss of this community. We serve them. They don't serve you. And my dad and my mom modeled that. And so here John is seeing this. He goes on, he says this, four living creatures... Here's the pets. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back were in the middle around the throne. The first living creature was like a lion. Like a lion. It doesn't say it was a lion. He's trying to describe this thing. He's like, well, it's got teeth. It's like hairy. It's a lion, I guess. Then he goes on. He says, the second living creature was like a calf. A lion and a calf? Like, I want to be the lion. Like, I... Like, anyway, okay. So, the third living creature had a face like a man. It wasn't a man, but had a face like a man. And a fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And people have tried to decide what do these things mean? You know, are they the elements of the earth and sacrifice? We don't know. John didn't explain it. John's like, here's the creatures. Isn't that cool? You got creatures, right? It's fun. It's fun to look online. Like, have you ever seen a duck platypus? That's a funny animal. It's hilarious. You know, God has a sense of humor when he created that thing right? They are funny looking creatures. God's the same way. He's like, I've created everything and I've created these creatures. And Yeah, it looks like one's flying and one can see and, you know, the calf. We don't know why, but this is what they are. And then he says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around the inside. The one thing we do know about these creatures is they can fly and they can see. So if you won't come to God, they're coming for you. God offers himself and says, come. But if you won't come, there's coming a day when he's coming for you. And you don't want to be found that way, God says. Because they've seen it all. And they will chew you up. And he says, day and night, they never stop saying. You probably know this. You got your Bibles. But if you were thinking and writing as John, and you know the Bible, what do you think they would be saying? Some people would say, in our culture today, well, they would be saying, loving, loving, loving is the God who is so loving. Great and powerful, full of love. Love is love, love. That's what you would think they would say. Some people on the other spectrum would say, wrath, 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 God is going to destroy. He is powerful and mighty and will smite you. Amen. Those are the two extremes. Here's what these creatures and here's 
What they're saying day and night in heaven all the time, right now as we sit, in time, outside of time, these animals are declaring this, and heaven is declaring this. They're saying what we sang today, holy, holy, holy. That means perfect, all authority, is the Lord God Almighty. That is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, who is the Yahweh currently, who was, who is, and who is coming. You have an option to come to him, and if you don't, he's coming. This is the God. This is what they're saying all the time. He was, he is, and he's coming. And it is a party in heaven. It's like when the fight song comes on at IU and everybody stands like da 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 da. Like that's what it is. Like it's exactly what it, when these animals start singing, everybody's like, "Oh, it's the fight song!" Yeah, woo! And it's and none of us are going to be sitting there being like, "I'm so tired of this stupid song." Like, no, that's not what we're going to do. We are going to be so excited when the song comes on because we know our that's our team. That's our God. That's, yes, I'm in. And we're going to be on it. It's going to be awesome. And we keep stealing that and ignoring heaven. So we'll go to an IU game and be like, and then we come to church and we're like, God love me. Like we're just dead. I don't, you don't have to be an excited person like me. Some of us are more melancholy. You go to an IU game and you stand and you're like, yeah. And that is really, truly, you're excited. I get it. I mean, I kind of get it. That's not who I am. But anyway. But that's what heaven's going to be like. It is not going to be boring. There are going to be creatures and lightning and flashes and thunder and like crystals. And like, you're going to be, whoa, this is amazing. And when they start singing, you're like, I know that song. I'm singing along. That's what he says. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. So what happens when the fight song starts going and everybody's really excited and the living creatures start the song. Like it's, it's, well, first they give glory and honor and thanks. Is that what you do? When you come to church, are you thinking about giving glory and honor and thanks to God or are you coming to church looking to get something instead of give? Are you coming to church? Are you, are, are you going places because you really want to give glory to the God who's given you everything? He's given you, you know, breath and life. You want to honor him because of everything he's done and you want to thank him. Listen, this is why the fifth commandment is obey your mother and father so it goes well with you in the land. If you don't know how to give glory, honor, and thanks to your earthly people and your earthly authorities, you'll never do it for a heavenly one. You won't. You won't do it. Some of you had terrible parents. I get it. Some of your parents were awful, abandoned you, abused you. You can still give glory that God gave life to you through that human. You can still honor that God gave you life through them. You can still say, I'm grateful they didn't kill me and abort me. They let me be born. You can say all of those things. You don't have to embellish. You can say what's true. The thing about these guys are, God's never done anything wrong, so they're really busy talking about all the glory, honor, and thanks because it never stops. With our earthly families and our earthly people, there comes a stop because the reality of their brokenness stares us in the face, which is why we need to learn to do this well so we don't get sidetracked in trying to earn glory and thanks and honor from people and give it to people who don't deserve it. The 24 elders, look at what the 24 elders, they're sitting on thrones. These guys are authorities. In, like, they have their own thrones around the throne. These guys are the most powerful dudes, like whoever they are. They, look at what they do. They fall down before the one seated on the throne, worship the one who lives forever, and cast their crowns before the thrones. This is like the cheerleaders. This is what this says. They're doing backflips. They're like, I'm on the ground, and woo! Like, this is what's happening. And they take what they've got 
T-shirts. They're shooting them into the crowd. Like, woo! Like, they're throwing the, they're throwing the crowns, and they're like, this crown, I, I'm out I'm of throne, but this is not, you're everything. And so here, have it all back. I'm good. You're awesome, and this is great, and I'm just so glad to be a part of this experience because I can't do what you do. I can't play football. I'm not a quarterback. I don't want to get hit. It hurts. And you died on the cross. I'm so grateful. And so you're just like, oh, this is awesome that I get to be here. And they throw the crowns. They're like, here, this crown, this beautiful thing you gave me. It's not like they cling to it. Well, this is my crown. I don't want to give my crown up. Like, you, you gave this to me. You wouldn't expect me to give it back. No, it's yours. Like, you gave it. It's all yours anyway. Here, have it back. And then it says, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. They say it again. Because you have created all things, and because your will, they exist and were created. God you're worthy because you've done it all. Not me. That's, what he, that's the reality. Now, many people in the Old Testament got to see the throne room of God. There's a handful of people that actually got to see it. One of them was Daniel. Look at how Daniel, thousands of years before this, describes the throne room. Daniel the prophet in the Old Testament, he said, I kept watching and thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like the whitest wool. His throne was a flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. Wheel? Isn't that a round circle? And then he says, a river of fire was flowing. Oh yeah, like the crystal brightness coming out of his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. All the creatures, everything serving him. And 10,000 to 10,000 stood before him, and the court was convened, and the books were opened. See, God's been telling the same story for thousands of years. We just won't listen. We won't come and look. We keep telling him, well, after this, I'll come and look. After this. And God's saying, there might not be an after this for you. You've got to make a decision. We go on in Revelation, it says, Then I saw on the right hand of the one, verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1, Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll. It's been written down, and it's been sealed. When a royal seal is made, if you break a royal seal, you know what happens to you? You're killed. We just went into a former president's house and, and took classified documents, right? And there are people saying he needs to be tried for treason and killed. I'm not getting into politics. I'm just saying we still practice that today. This isn't a weird thing. There is classified information that only God has, and it is sealed tight that he has written down, he has not chosen to reveal yet, and now that's getting ready to be open and revealed. You would pay attention. You'd be like, whoa, what's that? It says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Get on your feet. It's fourth down, right? Like it's, we steal all of our energy, like all the excitement we love, and we steal from the Bible. He's like, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This angel's like, Who, who's it going to be? And of course, John's like, not me. I can't do that. 24 elders are already laying down. They took their crowns off. Well, none of them are going to do it. They're all scared to death. Who's going to do it? The guy on the throne saying, I'm not doing it. But no one in heaven or on earth or, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look at it. 
God has given us the scroll of his word, and I wonder if any of you have ever been so broken to think what a precious gift I've been given that you were willing to just weep over the fact that I've been given this great document to read, to know my God, to know who I am, to understand the world when other people don't. And John looks and he says, I know what the Bible's done for me. I know what the Old Testament did for me. I know what the Gospels, which were probably written and he knew by this time. I I know what those have done for me. I want to read this. What is in it? Anything God writes down, I want to see it. And he's weeping because he's like, oh no, there's there's no one that's going to be able to open this. Then one of the elders said to me, stop crying, look. That may be all the message you need this morning. That you've had a lot of after this that you've been dealing with. And you just need to pause and stop whining and crying and just look at Jesus. Know that he's given you revelation as a hope. That you are blessed because of what he's done and he wants to give you his joy, not the fleshly joy that disappears. He says, stop crying for a minute, John. Just stop, pause, and put your eyes on Jesus. Look! The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious, so he may open the scroll and the seven seals. This thing is sealed with seven seals. Like, like that's perfect. This is a perfectly sealed scroll, so only a perfect person can open the scroll, and Jesus did all of it. He says this was the person that was the Old Testament, the king. This guy fulfilled it all. He's there. Look, you can look at him. You can't look at the scroll because the judgment is so wicked and so terrible, but look at him. Then look at this. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Because Jesus was the Lamb of God that died in our place as a sacrifice for us. Look, standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes. This ain't any Jesus I've seen pictured and painted. Which are seven spirits of God sent into the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. He had the authority to be like, yep, I got it. I couldn't approach any throne that way. This guy could because he is a co-equal with God. This is the Trinity on display. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one eternal essence, one God. And look at what he's doing. Look at this. He says, John, stop crying and look because I want you to see who he is. Look, look at who he is. He is who was and is and he is now coming. Remember, we just talked about that, but look at this. Where is he standing? Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. Hebrews tells us that Jesus stands and intercedes for us before the Father. He stands in the gap between our sin and God. And he holds back the wrath of God and says, I got that. I'll talk to him about it. I'll send the Holy Spirit to have a conversation. I'm forgiving them again and again and again. And again, and we find him now ready to take the judgment. Like he's been waiting, he's been beaten. He has to take all his punishment for us all the time. You'd think he'd be like, give me the scroll, baby. I'm gonna kill all you. And here he is still standing in between for you and for me, saying, holding back the wrath, ready to open it to pour out the wrath. He's like, it's time now. Guys, this is beautiful. 
Let me ask you this morning. What is the after this that you keep waiting for looking to make you happy or joyful? There is a God who says you can be blessed. You can have full happiness and joy if you'll just know me. If you'll understand and believe that this is true, I am opening up a door for you. God is opening up a door for you right now. In this moment, he is saying it's open. And you know what? If you close it, you know what he's going to come back and do? I just read it. He's not going to barge in. He's just going to knock. You ready, you ready to open the door? My door's open. I'd like to invite you out of your door into mine. And for some of us as believers, even though we know Jesus, we've shut the door and he's knocking and we need to open it back up to him again. And it wasn't some prayer we prayed at VBS. He's the God of the universe, and this is what's getting ready to happen, and I want to be a part of it. And like John, I don't want to be caught weeping for the wrong things. I don't want to be caught. I want to, I want to be able to look and see Jesus. I know this isn't preached often, but I'm telling you that there is a God right now that's telling you, come and look. Maybe you've never seen me this way. Maybe you've never seen God this way, but I'm telling you, It is the most fulfilling relationship you'll ever find. And his people that get this are some of the most fulfilling people to be around. They are. And some of the most miserable people to be around are people who say they believe in God, but they don't get this. They are some of the most miserable people you'll meet in your life. And I don't want that to be you. So maybe you've never made a decision to come and surrender. Maybe you're struggling with the after this, can I just invite you this morning to go before God in the stillness of your heart? To fall like the elders, take everything God's given you and cast it back to him and say, here I am. What do you want? What's next? What do we do after this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for those that are here. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you change lives and hearts. Lord, it's no small thing that we come to this place and Lord, as we look at this book that you've given us the final chapter so that we can have hope. When we're in a hopeless world right now that's constantly trying to get us to look at everything and come and look at this and come and look at that to try to give us a happiness that won't last so they can sell us another happiness and sell us another happiness. And you've given us a story, a picture of humanity that tells us where true happiness and blessing really are. Lord, I pray that we would embrace it. I pray that we would see that your word is true, that you call us to go, to know you, to show, and to grow in you. That you do the work, we surrender, and then we continue to keep surrendering. And you invite us, help us not to be like the the Israelites of the Old Testament when you invited them to come up on the mountain and they said no. Lord, right now you're inviting us to come. And Lord, for those of us who are meeting with you, that are walking with you, I pray that we would celebrate that, which is what happens in heaven. There's a celebration just to sing and praise you because we have come and we do know and we love you and may that go out into the world. May we not be ashamed of the reality of what we know about the world. But Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to surrender this morning, I pray today would be the day. And I pray that they would come and look at what's true. And I pray that they would then start coming to look with your believers so they continue to stay on that path of truth. So that one day when their spirit leaves like John's did and goes into heaven, there's a wide open door. 
to a throne room where they are welcomed in and where they can sing and celebrate the goodness of who you are. And everything will then make sense. Pray this in your name. Amen.